Amen. You can take to your seats again. And as you do so, turn please in the Word of God to the New Testament book of Matthew. The first book in your New Testament, the first of the three synoptics, the first of the four Gospels, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, please. We want to read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, but we really want to read from verse 35 through into the next chapter. But as I was in my study not that far from here, up in the Dramara Hills, just a couple hours ago, I was reading the entirety of the chapter, and the Lord spoke to me even from the earlier parts of this chapter. Therefore, we want to read from verse 27, that little paragraph mark at verse 27, rather than merely the paragraph mark at verse 35. I trust you find the place. It's good to hear the rustle of Scripture in God's house. Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 9 reads, And when Jesus departed thence, and I was greatly challenged by these verses, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, and this is a word that challenged me because sometimes I believe our faith is not where it ought to be. And before I point the finger at anybody else today, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody here. I point the finger at myself. We must be very careful when pointing the finger because we have to remember that there's three fingers pointing back. Look at the words of the Savior here, this test, if you like. Believe ye that I am able to do this. Do we believe that our God is able to move as he did whenever this church was first founded over 70 years ago? Do we believe that our God is still the same God of the 1859 revival and the other periods of blessing that this land has known? I think if we did, it would change the way we act and behave. Believe ye that I am able to do this. And their answer was, they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then, look at the word in verse 29. Then, only then, only after their faith had been tested and found to be something of substance. Then touched he their eyes, saying, and here's reinforcement of this truth. According to your faith, be it unto you. Verse 30, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus, Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knew it. Now, they went beyond what they were supposed to do here. In fact, that's introduced with the word but. The word but in Scripture, every time I come to it, I stop. Because it's always a turning point. That proved themselves worthy, these men. But they went beyond what the word of God commanded them to do and they did something they should not have done. They sinned in verse 31. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad the, his fame in all that country. That shouldn't have happened. Verse 32, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. And then we have that word but. 
because there were always those who were seeking occasion against the Savior. We know that. Even casual reading of Scripture, may the Lord forgive us for that, but even casual reading of Scripture will inform us time and time again that there was that element who were opposed to everything that he did. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. This is where we were going to read from. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And again, the word but at the beginning of verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, this verse which is so familiar at this time of the year. The verse that the Lord has laid upon my heart in particular today. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power. Do we believe today? To go back to verse 28 and 29 of the previous chapter. Do we believe today that our God is still able to give us this power that he did in that day? God has not changed, but rather we have changed. He called unto them his twelve disciples, and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Isn't it very interesting here in the heart of verse 5? how the very first thing that he told them to, what to do was something they were not to do. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass for your journeys, nor script for your nor brass for your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there, abide till ye go thence. And I want you to notice verse 16 as well. Verse 16. In fact, you'll always find this in Scripture. Here's another little rule of exegesis. Here's a rule. Every time you see the word behold, there's something of particular note about to follow. He does that here at the introduction of verse 16. Behold. We have here this solemn warning that applies to the church 
of Jesus Christ even today. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Amen. And we do pray that the Lord himself might bless us the reading of his own inspired word to each of our hearts even this Sabbath morning afresh. Can I ask you please to stand with me for a moment as we pray to the Lord of the harvest as we plead with him to bless us in this the final part of the meeting this morning as we come to the preaching of God's most precious word. You pray that the Lord will take every distraction from you it's easy to look around, especially if you're at home in your kitchen. There's things to do. May we be focused upon what the Lord would have for us today. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee today for thy blessing and thy goodness that sees us able to come out to this thy house. And even for those that aren't able to come out and watching along online, that they're able to set aside this time and just join with us in the watching of this service. Lord, undertake, bless us today, help us. Undertake for thy child as he would take the service up until he found today. We look to thee, we can look to none else. And I pray, Lord, that thou would bless to the uttermost even this day. In thy precious and holy name we do ask thee, giving thanks for what thou hast done already. We've had a blessed 35 minutes already in this thy house. In thy precious and holy name we do ask. Amen. You know, I do, as many others do, I love this time of the year, the harvest time. It's the time of the year when those of us in the farming community or those of you in the farming community quite literally reap what we sow, reap the rewards of all the hard work and labor throughout the earlier part of the year. It is a time that marks the change between the good growing times, that's the summertime, and the sun is up and the warmth is in the ground, the summertime and the leaner times of the harder winter months that we're just about to step into, to the time when we're about to eat into the very harvest that's been brought through and put into the shades over this last couple of months. It is also, and I know there's others that agree with me in this, as we look around us, as we look at the trees changing their color, as we look at the change in the countryside, it is also one of the most beautiful times of the year as well. It's the time of the year when I've just mentioned how the beautiful color starts to come into the foliage round about us, and the leaves start to drop. It is this time of the year that it's just after the harvest has been gathered in. And I was just sitting in my study, looking out the window, thinking about this. And whenever I'm sitting in my study, I'm not always looking out the window. I have to remind you of that. But there's times it's good to stop and pause and look back. Look into God's wonderful creation. It's almost, and if you look out for a while, it's almost like everything has just stopped. Paused for a little while before the severe weather comes in and all the rest of it. I live, as I've told you, up on the Dramara Hills. If you're going from Dramara, from Balnahinch to Dramara, you keep climbing and climbing and climbing, and then there's a point where you begin to go down again into Dramara. Well, right, I'm right at the crest. I'm higher even than Rothrylan, believe it or not. 
and then you drop down into Dramara. And it can get some pretty wicked weather in and around my house at this at, at the winter time of the year. But now, even this morning before I come out, whenever I looked out, it was like as if the scene had just paused, just ceased momentarily for a while. Things just seem to stop at this time of the year. And whenever we look out at a beautiful autumn scene such as we can experience at this time of the year and a little bit further on into the winter, all is peace. There's little movement. It's almost like nature is resting for a little moment, a brief moment after so much hard work throughout the summer months. Of course, the harvest time has always been a very, very busy time, especially here in Northern Ireland farms. Very busy time of the year because there's been so many, percentage-wise of the population, so many people employed at the harvest time of the year. In fact, whenever you're to look at it, even compared to England, never mind other parts of the world, the school holidays, the very holidays when our boys and girls get off, are determined and set aside in relation to the very digging of the potatoes and all the rest of it. We've got longer time around the autumn time now than the schools in England or anywhere else about the major cities in England. And that's due largely to the farming practices that we have here in our wee country. And there's really nowhere like this on earth. The school kids get off. Uh, there's not too many today. I don't know about you boys and girls. Do you dig the potatoes or do you let the machines do it? There's people here, I'm sure, that can remember. Head down and tail up as you're working away. Peace rate, isn't that right? I can see some smiles spreading across your faces. As you can remember those times when, you're, when, when the older ones, the ones maybe operating the machinery, maybe reaping the, 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 the money that came from the, the crops that were coming in, told you over and over again, head down, tail up, work away as you've gathered in the spuds and filled the potato boxes ready for the market. What I'm trying to tell you is, folks, that back in the day, and we ought to be very careful looking backwards. We don't want to do it, as we've said already about Lot's wife. She did it in such a way that she never took another step forward again. May the Lord forgive us for such looking back. But may we look back with a view of looking forward again. Because when we look back at the traditional way that things were harvested back in the day, it was a job that included everyone. Everybody who was able to do it got stuck in. All else stopped when the gathering of the harvest becomes a priority. And I do believe that's why the Lord has brought my attention to the last couple of verses of verse 9 in particular. We read what we did, we believe, for a reason today. Right, spanning from chapter 9 right well into chapter 10. But we want to focus upon the last two verses of chapter 9. Look at what it tells us there in verse 37. Our text today. Then saith he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son, and let me just stop there and say that he is the one who is central to all that we do today, all that we believe, all that we have. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we never get away from that position as a church, as individuals. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, 
but the laborers are few. We're so encouraged today to see God's house so well filled. But let me tell you up and down the country today that is not a scene that is often reported. God's house being so well filled. It's good to see every one of you today. But may we ever and always, increasingly so as we see the need out there, increase the more. May we be those who are willing to put our shoulders to the wheel. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. First of all, I want to see here in this scene that's painted for us here in Matthew's gospel, the problem that is identified. You see, before we realize or acknowledge that there is a problem, there will be no desire to see anything done about it. There's a problem here in these portions, and there's a problem here in the world at large today. And the Lord Jesus Christ has a wonderful knack, as we see him over and over again, as revealed to us in the four Gospels, of putting his finger right on the problem. I hadn't planned to say it, and it's not in my notes. But my mind is immediately drawn, once I say that, to that lovely scene that's painted for us here in John chapter 3, where Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, went to the Lord Jesus Christ under the cover of darkness. Perhaps there's a Nicodemus here in the meeting today. Maybe somebody very religious as he was, but yet somebody, as it must be acknowledged, he was at the beginning of that chapter at least, Without the Savior. He went along and he buttered him up. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from, come from God. All these sort of words. But the Lord cut through it all. And he put his finger right on the problem. And he told that man. That aged man in that particular example. Maybe there's an older religious person watching on today and you think that your religion somehow earns your salvation. Maybe you're sitting in the meeting. The Lord put your finger on it. There's people here that I know from Balna Hinch and you'll be able to tell me, that's my home church, of the text that was and still is over the preacher's head. John chapter 3 verse 7, part of that verse, ye must be born Again, isn't it wonderful how the Lord puts his finger on the problem in that example? And in this example, the harvest truly is plenteous, but he puts his finger right on the issue, but the laborers are few. What do we find here in these portions? We find the Lord Jesus Christ, as we always find him to be, extremely busy. There was much hustle and bustle and, and all that was going on around him and the way that he was ministering. And there we find him, as we always do, at the very heart, at the very center of it all. In this ninth chapter, we find the Lord Jesus Christ engaged with all the people, teaching, preaching, healing the sick. Look at verse 1. It tells us in verse 1 of chapter 9, that is, because we're in two chapters today, I want to Avoid any, any confusion. Chapter 9, verse 1, we find the Lord Jesus Christ engaging with all the people. What an example. Remember how he said he came to call the sinners to repentance? Maybe you think you're too bad. Maybe you think, and I've been told this as I've tried to witness to people, but pastor, do you realize what I have done? 
I've done too much. I've sinned too far. I've went too far down that slippery slope. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to save you. He engaged with all. Preaching and teaching and healing the sick. In fact, it tells us there in that very verse, verse 1 of how he entered into the ship. He passed over the sea into Capernaum. That was, in the words of that verse, it was his own city. It lies right on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And almost immediately we read of how they, that is, all the people, flocked to hear him over days like that again. There's many times in the scriptures we read of how the people flocked, they pressed upon him, they, they flocked to hear him. We read of language such as this. In fact, we read there of an example of a man sick of the palsy. They brought him to the Lord and of how he healed that man right away. But of course that had an immediate reaction with the people. It had an immediate reaction from the zealots, the religious zealots of the day. Those who were ever, and we highlighted this in the reading, those who were ever waiting and looking and watching and seeking for an occasion that they might excuse, uh, accuse him. However, we read here of how the omniscient Savior knew all about it. He knew their thoughts. We read of how he actually reproved them. Look at verse 4, the, the first part of verse 4. He reproved them for their, the evil in their hearts. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? Look at on down into verse 8. We see how the Savior there, in the way that he dealt with the people around him, gained popularity, gained traction from the crowds around him, and very, very soon in a large following. Hanging on his every word. Even whenever he was eating. In fact we could go further than that and say. Especially when he was eating. They couldn't leave him at peace. He was under particular scrutiny. From those who stood against him. And then we find even there. The Lord faithful and teaching. And giving out these valuable lessons. To all kinds of people. But especially to his own. Especially to the disciples. To those who stood against him as well and everybody else in between. There's a word here for everybody. There's a word here for every class of sinner. In fact, toward the close of chapter 9, we find him again, yet again, on the move. Look at verse 35. He went into all the cities and villages. Verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What do we find him doing? teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease among the people. However, it's whenever we come to this 36th verse, we find it is introduced with this word, this conjunction, a joining word, that's what a conjunction is, the word but. Again, we've highlighted the use of that word in scripture. But when he saw the multitudes, he was... And we often find this with the Savior. This is not an isolated example, but rather this thought is reinforced by the number of times we read of such things right across the four Gospels. But when he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Can I put it to you today? In this beautifully decorated church today, this new build, Showing something of God's goodness. That whenever we read this particular verse. 
Especially after, that's why we spent a little bit of time considering the rest of the chapter, especially considering everything else, all the other verses in chapter 9, if you like. Everything seems to, at least for a moment, just pause or stop as we get to this verse. As it often does at this time of the year. The harvest time. This is a time of reflection. Time for the farmer who has labored all summer, once he has the shades full of the crop, to stop and to look back at the work that he has done. We can sort of see that here in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, after all the busyness of the earlier part of that chapter, he stopped, he paused. Why? Because he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ saw right to the heart of the problem. As we sometimes are not able to do. I come here today, and especially with a packed church as we have. I look out at the crowd. I'm still seeing faces of people I know. Oh, didn't realize you were here. Oh, there's somebody I, I didn't really realize or notice you until just now. Not so with the Savior. No matter the size of the crowd, no matter how many were before him, he not only looked on the individual and saw them as an individual, not merely part of a crowd, but he looked beyond the exterior right into the heart, right into the need of that soul. He was moved with compassion when? After, verse 36 tells us, after he saw the multitudes. Moved with compassion on them because they fainted, and secondly, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherds. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ saw them and he saw their need. Do you realize what your need is today? The Lord knows. Sees right beyond the exterior. People, of course, use that to hide behind shoddy dress and all the rest of it. Oh, the Lord doesn't care what's on the outside. He sees the heart. Yes, he sees the heart, but he also sees what's on the outside, which is a symptom of the heart. But he sees your need. He sees what makes you tick. He sees what makes you cry, what makes you cringe, what hurts you sore, even though we all, even before pandemic, every one of us wore a mask, figuratively speaking. Isn't that right? The Lord sees through that all and he knows the condition of man, every one of us. What about you today? Let me ask you today that personal question. What about you? And I don't mean physically. I mean, what about you today spiritually? Are you lost or are you saved? Are you in the broad road that leads to hell and to destruction? That road of mighty crack and all the rest of it? Good times, but it takes you to hell. Or are you in that narrow way? Because there's only two states today of man. There's only two states that really matter. And that is, are you either saved or are you lost because the Lord Jesus Christ saw their need? As with the example that I used just a moment or two in John chapter 3 of this man Nicodemus. He had all the outward trappings of being one of the most religious men of the city. But the Lord saw right through it all to his heart. And maybe that's the case with you today. The Lord saw exactly what the problem was. He was moved with compassion because they fainted. 
you think about fainting. Maybe you feel like fainting today. Maybe you're close to fainting today. Maybe you're weak. Maybe you're unable to help as it is the case with every sinner today. Weak and unable to help ourselves without external help from the Lord. Total depravity. Total inability outside ourselves or within ourselves. And then they were scattered abroad. They had nobody to lead them, nobody to show them the way, nobody to help them. You see, that was the problem that they all seeing God, God identified right away as he looked out on that crowd and the individuals within the, the crowd that day. He sees the individual. He sees you. If you're not saved today, Surely in a gathering this size, there are those who are outside of Christ, outside the fold of God. If you're not saved today, would you not ask, simply ask in the quietness of your heart, do you realize, yes, I will gladly take time with you after the service. Mr. McLaughlin would gladly take time with you. Any of the elders or the Sabbath school teachers or the Christian workers here would, I know, gladly take time with you. But do you realize that you can be saved where you sit today? You can be saved even at home as you watch this broadcast. You can ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to come in right now, to come in today, and he will stay. Because my Bible tells me, and I believe every word that it tells me, I do not merely believe that this word of Scripture contains the Word of God. Some believe that. Some teach that. But I believe, and we in this church believe this, not merely to contain the Word of God, but to be in its entirety to be the Word of God. And what does it tell me? It tells me that all of us, every single one of us, born by natural generation, that is all but Christ himself, the perfect sinless one, but everybody else were born sinners. What does that word sinners and sin, what does it mean? It means we have missed the mark of God's standard. God's word makes it so clear. For all, not most, not all, not some, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Christ looked down on those people and he saw that. And he looks down in your heart today. What does he see? Are you a sinner that's been saved? We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. But the difference is, not that I'm good living, or not that I've warranted or worked up any merit in my own, but rather that the Lord has saved my soul. What about you today? Do you have a similar experience? Has the Lord lifted you from the dregs of your sin and set your feet upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus? Or are you still in your sin today? The Lord can see you for what you are. The Bible tells us that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Yet I am thankful today, and this is really where this passage brings us to, I and we are thankful today that the Lord is pleased to use the human instrument. Maybe somebody invited you to this service today. Maybe somebody sent you a link that you're able to watch and follow along the messages here. The Lord is pleased to use the human instrument Use those of us who are washed in his precious blood as instruments, as laborers in his vineyard. Look at the verse, verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. Look at the last reference in that verse. As sheep having no shepherd. Whenever we think of the shepherd. 
and I mean the shepherd. Our minds are drawn back to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for the sheep. The great shepherd, the great shepherd, the only shepherd who can save our souls. And how he went all the way to the cross. This is the central message of this church, of course. The central message, in fact, will go farther than that, of all time. We believe even right from the beginning. Not that men were saved in different ways through different dispensations of time. We believe right from the beginning that covenant promise was given. Genesis 3.15. And the gradual unfolding of that same promise to the revelation of that promise of how the Lord Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time. Of how he went to the cross in the fullness of time. Of how he gave of his life's blood in the fullness of time. Why? That sinners like you and I might go free. He today is offering that gift, the gift of salvation. You see, you have a need today. The need is identified in this verse of these individuals. But our need is of the Savior, is of a Redeemer, is of one who would pay the price of our sins that we cannot pay in and of ourselves no amount of work. And said all our righteousnesses, as we read in the Old Testament, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And I will not go into what that is a reference to because it is of no value. But rather, I depend upon the cross. What are you depending upon today? What are you depending upon for your salvation today? I thank the Lord today that he is pleased to use the human instrument. Today is so different from what it was in yesteryear. Today we go into a field to harvest corn or barley or wheat. One man. One man goes in with the combine. Let me say this. It's all left to that one man to do the harvesting. In the past, the thresher was very, very different from what the new machines are. These big new machines, maybe 1,200 horsepower. One machine going up and cleaning the field in, in no time at all. In the past, it was very, very different. The harvest, what this time of the year is all about, very, very different. I have it down here in my notes, some of the work, and it really was and it really is work that was needed to be done. The fields, first of all, even before the knife bar, do you have a scythe at home? Have you ever used a scythe? Maybe you have column. The scythe was hard work. The fields were cut manually by men with scythes. A good man, I'm told, now I've never experienced this myself, but a good man with a scythe could have cut up to two acres a day, and that was him going well, that was a fit man. Two acres a day, and that was maybe only oats or wheat. Barley was a different matter because you had to stop more often. Apparently it dulled the blade more. You had to stop twice as often with a knife bar or with a scythe bar to give it a bit of a dress up. Hard work, sweat, toil, maybe even tears. The corn was then tied up into sheaves that were being built onto rocks all over the field, maybe 10 or a dozen rocks, depending on the crop, per, per acre of ground. Then the rocks were dried and they were all brought by the horse and cart in those early days, brought uh, into, the, into the stackyard. Stacks were built from the sheaves. Maybe 10 or 15 rocks went into making one stack of corn, depending on how well they were built, of course. 
However, it was really until, it wasn't until the mid-1930s. Can any of you remember that? It wasn't until the mid-1930s that the thresher became popular for use around Northern Ireland farms. When the thresher arrived, it really was all hands to the deck back then. It would have been parked in between two stacks of corn and then the threshing began. To operate a thresher at full capacity. Think of today, one man. To operate a thresher at full capacity, it took maybe eight or nine good men who knew what they were doing. It took one or two men to pitch the sheaves up onto the top of the thresher. It took two or three men on top of the mill, as it was called. They were there to loose the corn they were the ones that had their treasure legs tied to stop the rats and the mice going up them. And they had to loose the, the, the corn and, and shake it down in. You had a man in the bags at the back of the thresher to bag the precious corn that came out of it. You had a man to tie the bales. There was no nodders in those early days. And it was usually the thresher owner that did that. He also checked the tractor for oil and for diesel and the speed of the tractor. He checked the, the belt speed coming into the, into the thresher. He checked the, the fans. You think about the fans. They had to be set just right so they would blow the chaff but not blow the good grain. And then a couple of men were needed to draw the bales of straw away as well. That's nine good men. Nine men working and sweating who knew what they were doing, working flat out. Things have changed today. One man. One man. You think of their text. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he looked right down through and saw the need in their hearts. You think of the Lord here as he was moved with compassion, as he was burdened for the lost. The harvest truly is plenteous, but... The laborers are few. We're living in 2021 where we love to leave it to one man. Isn't that right? One man, one woman, one individual. We need to get our shoulders to the wheel. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to speak to the lost about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us get back to our text. Let us get back to the days when we labor for the master when we remember that it's the Lord's work and not his playground there's work to be done I'm so encouraged when I rolled in this morning to see a bus with kids getting onto it there's a great mission field out there has the Lord not challenged us and called us to get involved in the work consider this scene consider the instruction that's given here as well well, the Lord Jesus Christ, there as he looked out upon the people with his all-seeing eye, he saw the multitude, he saw the needs of the people, and immediately he spoke to his disciples that were around him. But what did he say? Verse 38 of chapter 9, and the whole of the following chapter, in fact, is taken up to answer that very question. Whenever I looked at this portion, and I mean chapter 10 now, I just read over those verses again and again and again and I thought to myself as I was reading those verses this really is God's handbook of instruction full of instruction as to the, how the child of God ought to serve him best in the harvest field we have instruction after instruction here but right at the head of it all he himself led you know what we have today? We don't have leaders. 
We don't have leaders. I've thought about this so often. I've talked to so many of our ministers about this. We do not have leaders today. We've got managers today. I was thinking about it. I was watching a thing about, about job interviews, <laughs> funny enough. And the question was asked, what is the difference between a good manager and a good leader? Now, that man gave an answer. I can't remember his answer. His answer is not important because I've been thinking about the question ever since. This denomination was commenced just over 70 years ago, on the 17th of March, 70 years ago. Back then, we knew what it was to have good leaders and leadership. Men who led from the front. The Lord Jesus Christ was one who led from the front and led by example. Look at what it tells there in verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He led by his own example. He taught, he preached, he healed the sick. What an example for us to follow. I don't have time to go into all the detail here that I would love to go into tonight or today. I might be into tonight if it was to take time to flesh out what the Lord has for us here. But he told us here, let's skip down to what it tells us in verse 38. Because there's nothing more beneficial to the work of Jesus Christ than what we could do that is at the head of verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. There's people will say to me, and I've heard it so many times, and it's said with a heavy heart, there's nothing that I can do. Sure, I'm nothing but an old man or an old woman. We often think, and I've preached about it so many times, about those four men that started praying at the 1859 revival. But I have since discovered in reading history books that there were not four men at those first meetings at all. There's six. And one of them was an old man. What was he doing? He wasn't running up and down a ladder with a hood on his shoulder, or he wasn't scything corn. He prayed with the rest of those men. He prayed down the blessing. Do we know what it is to pray as a church, as individuals? Do we know what it is to really pray for God's blessing? I think we've lost that desire in this postmodern day and generation. I would love to have come today and preached a message on 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. What does that verse tell us? I'll tell you, it's a verse that would have been preached oftentimes at the start of our denomination. Not so much now. In fact, the last clause, I don't have it here, I'm working from memory, but the last clause of the previous verse, if I send pestilence among my people, then verse 14, if my people, this is to his people, to you and I, if we're saved today, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God reinforces that. God the Son reinforces that here in verse 38. I don't have time to go into what I was going to say, but I will say this because it's important. That Christ has commanded us to pray. And do we know what it is to pray? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and 
turn from their, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then the promise of God is there. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. May we as God's people today be moved first of all to pray and then secondly to put foot to our prayers. Only then will we know his blessing. Only then will we see the church of Jesus Christ. How do we go forward? If I was to talk about any business in Belfast or Kerrydoff or St. Field or Balnehenge, and if I was to talk about any of those businesses, and I was to say of those businesses, that that business is on its knees, what would it mean? It would mean it's on its way out. The opposite is true of the church of Jesus Christ. May we really know what it is in this day and generation moving forward. We're to look back, but only with a view of moving forward. Moving forward, may we know what it is to pray, to humble ourselves, to seek his face, to pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth his laborers into the harvest. There's a question asked in our closing hymn. I apologize for keeping you so long this morning. I aim for an hour, but sometimes I'm a bad shot. 735, it asks a question, are you, you know, it's easy to take the word, the challenge, and to pass it on to somebody else. Isn't that right? To play spiritual basketball with a word. There's nothing as bad and sinful as wrong as taking that word and saying, there's somebody else that'd be good at doing that. Can every one of us, can you not pray? God's blessing. Are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother? In the morning bright and fair, are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother, in the heat of the noonday's glory? You think of the words, you think of the challenge, you think of God's word to our hearts today. May the Lord challenge each of us as we might labor for him in this day and generation.